Welcome to Last on the Breaks, the MotoGP podcast that's coming at you a little different in 2020, by which we mean bigger and better than ever before. Yeah, well, that that was, in fact, the first intro that we designed for the first podcast of 2020. But as uh, everybody listening could tell, things are going to kick off even more differently than perhaps we were originally imagining as well. Uh, both of us actually in the UK at the moment, Fran, but obviously, as we're talking by Skype, not together. <laughs> exactly. So we are not in our little podcasting booth or anywhere on site, as sadly, I'm sure everyone is aware with the ongoing coronavirus outbreak, most of the paddock, if not a lot of the world at the moment, are trapped at home. And make sure you do follow those rules, kids. And uh, uh, wash your hands, please. To, exactly. We're trying to do our best, though, to make sure we still have plenty of content for everyone to bring a little sunshine back to your day if you are missing MotoGP and one of your passions as we are. Yeah, uh, well, you'll get a, a full rundown as well in what will be our second episode, but we'll get onto that in a second. Here will be how the format will be this year. Uh, you're going to have a Last on the Breaks podcast, well, originally after every GP, uh, as one for every GP, but then for now, we're going to be having a Last on the Breaks podcast one per week until we actually get going again. So this week, we actually have a special guest who's going to, we're going to be ringing very, very shortly. Alberto Pooch, no less, HRC team boss. And then after that, we're actually going to start off with what was originally episode one, which is a recorded cool. podcast recorded a few weeks ago now, on video as well, with no less than MotoGP legend Randy Mamela. Exactly, yeah. So you'll be able to hear us go through all of this format once again then. <laughs> <laughs> Although it'll but, sound uh, a little bit different. <laughs> it will. But yeah, so we're trying to be flexible and bring you as much stuff as we can. And like we said, this week should be a really interesting chat with Alberto Putsch. And hopefully the technology will hold up uh, and we'll be able to connect to him wherever he is in the world. Yeah, let's uh, let's make a little prayer. Uh, but also we do actually have another podcast already recorded as well. So we actually have... Technically, once we've actually called Alberto, three podcasts in the bank for you guys over the next three weeks already. We have Tom Lutie, which we recorded in Qatar before that first race of the season. Uh, I think we kind of jinxed him a little bit because we're sort of, we we're talking about it as a Tartu challenge, but his race didn't quite go to plan. So I don't think he'll want to speak to us again. Yeah, it sadly wasn't quite the uh, glorious Sunday that he had last year in Qatar, but nevertheless, obviously, a huge challenge in the intermediate class for a decade. Um, so I think it's an interesting chat that one and it was yeah, good to be good. able to get that done on site obviously in Qatar with no MotoGP class competitors there that was the first hurdle and now we've had plenty more hurdles but uh, this year we also have a partner on the podcast do we not we have a sponsor yes we do Kenwood Thank you so much for actually sponsoring the podcast for us. They are going to be having their very own segment in every single episode after this one, but I just thought we'd give them a nice little shout out for episode one. It'll be called the Kenwood Quickfire. So at the end of every podcast, we're going to fire some quickfire questions. Uh, that sounded terrible, didn't it? Fire some quickfire questions at our guests. Uh, a bit of word association and also some just general uh, pizza or pasta type uh, questions for them to get to know their their loves and their likes and dislikes a little bit better, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I personally love those things. You can't hide when the questions are quick fire. Yeah, especially when it's like word association and subconscious <laughs> thoughts coming out exactly. as well. Exactly. So, okay, without further ado then, that's what we're going to be bringing you hopefully over the next few weeks. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoy our chat. And now, handing over, over to, to Alberto. Senor Alberto over in Spain. 
Hello, Alberto. Thanks for talking to us. So to start off, obviously, you're now team manager for Repsol Honda team. But first, obviously, you were also a rider. Um, so we'll talk about your career then and now a little bit. But first of all, we can't ignore the current situation that we're all in. Obviously, many of us in lockdown. So there's one question, aside from the obvious, that's quite unique to Repsol Honda. Does this give Mark Marquez a little bit more time maybe to heal and to train as he gets ready to go back to racing? Well, probably yes. But on the other hand, I have to say that even though if we start the championship when it was meant to start, uh, against many people's opinion or many thought, or many doubts, even though not fit, not maybe not even 60%, we believe Mark would have been in the top group. So I answer your question and then I give you another quote. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, so, yeah, yeah, I we mean, understand. Exactly. He, so, he, of course, the time it would be good, it can be good, but that doesn't mean that in case we had the race at that time, he would have been lying 10 position, you know? Yeah, so it's there are some positives, but it wasn't necessary, in your opinion. It's, I mean, out of circumstances, on the time that extra time he will have, it will be good for him. If you see that the problem globally, it's a disaster. I mean, of course, nobody wants to have this situation we are having. And I'm sure Mark would have preferred to start a championship even though he was not fit than to suffer this pandemic that all the world is suffering. This is for sure, 100%. Yeah, of course, of course. I think, Phil, this whole situation has, uh, has reminded us of some perspective of there is... Obviously, everyone knows already there is more to life than racing. But what, what has this? Uh, how have you felt during this whole situation, Alberto? Well, I think it's very interesting because you know it's in the recent times. For long, I mean, mankind wasn't threatened so aggressively by nature, and at the end of the day, we are nothing. And this is a proof. I mean, nature gives one click more on the clock and we are out of, we are completely off, out. I mean, we, we, we don't know how, how to even to react. So I think even though it's a total disaster that we hope it will, it will, we will overcome this. After this, I mean, people will see things with a different perspective, probably all of us. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's move on from the from the current situation, shall we? Because we want to get no to lots of people watching MotoGP these days. Alberto will know you as just HRC team manager. They will know that you were an ex rider, but they won't have won't necessarily know the things that happened during 1994-95, becoming the first Spaniard to win a 500cc race in the Spanish Grand Prix. So, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your that time and your career, please? Well, yes, I mean, 
frankly speaking, I, I, I remember a lot of injuries. And this is one of the things that I am not happy for, not because of the injury itself, but because of the not possibility to develop all I thought I could develop and, 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 and perform, you know? So, yeah, I started in the 250s. Um, yeah, it was okay. I had some crashes. I had a lot of problems with my arms. But when I got the chance to go move to the 500, I realized that that bike was much more suitable for my riding style than the 250. And yeah, already the first year I managed to finish top five with a satellite bike. There were only good riders in front, but I, I was feeling good. And then, yeah, the next year I get a very good uh, training in the winter. I was really fit. And then that was it. I mean, I made a mistake in France. I, I crashed when I was, I think I was lying two or sec, second or third in the championship. But after that crash, it was, for me, it was, it was sweet. I mean, my leg was really, really damaged. Luckily, I, I, I could save it and I still have it. And I have to thank that for that every day. But not not to race at the top level. I mean, I tried one more year. And yeah, even I could manage to get a podium once again. But I was not competitive anymore. And to be honest, I, I was a little bit afraid of having again a bad crash. And because that leg was, it's like super fragile. If I if I go hard to it, I mean I, I could lose it. And to race at the top level, you have to be. You, you cannot doubt. You cannot think at some point. You have to perform. You have to act. And during 45 minutes, you just have to ride the bike with no feelings, no emotions. Just ride the bike as hard as you can. And if you have something in your brain that stops you to make that type of operation for 45 minutes, you are history. So uh, yeah, I decided, I mean, the, the, the last two years I was good, I was in a good level. So after the second and the, the first time I tried after my accident, which was 1996 or 97, I don't remember, I, I was really, really lying every race uh, really bad. So I, I thought it was time for me to stop because it was not, I was angry because it was not my real potential, but I could not do more because my leg, I mean, my leg from knee to my foot is completely numb. I cannot move my ankle. I have zero power and I, I could not even on the left corners, I had zero balance. So I was fucked because I, I could see the speed, but I could not do it because I had no support from my body. So game over. I had to accept it and... It was very difficult to take the decision, but, you know, uh, it is like this. Life is not what you want, it's what it is. Absolutely. So, obviously, then after that, you've made a very successful career off the bike. But before we move on to that, some of those things that you said then about fear and having to be not thinking about anything else and just riding the bike as hard as you can... 
That sounds pretty similar to a lot of what, obviously, 2019 Repsol Honda rider Jorge Lorenzo said when he decided to retire. It's something we've heard from other riders as well when they make that decision. Do you think that that's the point at which you know you should stop? And what do you think about Lorenzo having said that last year and how he left the sport? You you want to me sorry because the communication is so so but you want me to talk you on Lorenzo's decision to retire right yeah exactly and how if you see a parallel between what he was thinking at that time in his career as well well let's I mean frankly speaking Lorenzo career was completely successful he won <laughs> five world titles you know I I I, I could not even won one but I mean the approach. I think the approach is at each level of every rider is basically the same. I mean, you are used to perform somehow in, in, in a way, and suddenly you start to, to, to not be in your times, you start to not be in your position. And at that time for me, I mean, I was regularly in the top five, top six in the 500. So... Why then, I mean, after my accident, why I have to accept to be 12, 13, 14? No. In Lorenzo's case, it's basically the same. He's a guy that has won a lot of races, and suddenly he gets a theoretically super bike, but he cannot even go top 10. So, fuck, what is the guy thinking? He's thinking, I don't like this. Yeah. He tried, he tried, he crashed, and... Suddenly one day he said, fuck, I don't need this anymore. I cannot do it with this bike. So he decided to stop at that time in Valencia. So as I said at that point, he has all my respect. And everybody, I mean, one of the good things of life is that you can do whatever you want with your life. And this is what he did. He decided to stop. Now looks, he wants to go back to, to test or to race. There's nothing I have to say. I mean, it's his life, and he must follow his uh, his wishes and his dreams or whatever. Did you uh, in that in that press conference? It was it was very interesting because uh, nothing. Sometimes when a rider retires, there can sometimes be blame against the team, or the team blame the rider. But it was such a mutual, friendly decision. Did you? How much did you appreciate how he was so fair? He didn't. He accepted responsibility on his own part, as well as acknowledging that the, just the relationship didn't quite work. What What did that mean to you as a team manager? Well, I mean, the first thing you have to, I mean, let's say, starting position or starting point is that you have a rider that is five-time world champion. I mean, try to think as a manager. I am the manager, and I have a guy in my team who is five times world champion. So you cannot look to a guy like this the same you would look to a 22 guy that is very promising but starting to race. So this is a starting point. So when the guy is struggling during the year, we are trying to help him. Honda is making all what he's, they can to try to help him in regarding the, the, the equipment, the parts, what he asked for. Me personally, as a team manager, as an ex-rider, I'm trying to support him. I'm not pushing him in a, you know, in a stupid way. I'm just trying to give him confidence. Come on, let's try. Let's give one more, let one more race. Let's go step by step. So the thing was, 
we were trying. We knew he was trying because he crashed badly. He really crashed two times like crazy. In Barcelona and in Holland, he made a massive crashes. Normally, when you crash like this, it's not because you are sleeping. It means you are trying. So we both, both parties understood the other one and respected the story. We tried to bring it to the end to push him. He tried to, but, you know, sometimes things in life is like I told you before. They're not like, they're like you want. They're like it is. And he was not capable of riding that bike at that precise moment in the speed that that was required. So at the end of the day, when he announced he will retire, of course it was a, let's say a surprise because we had a two year contract with him. But on the other hand, there was no way to push him to race because he, the, it came from the bottom of his heart. He said, hey guys, I cannot do it. And I, I don't want to do it. How a company like Honda can push a guy to race when the guy is telling you that, for whatever reason, that at probably still he don't understand why. Or maybe he still didn't realize that he could not be fast. But it's impossible that we, we, we or me as a team manager in my position, say, no, no, fuck, you have to go, you have a contract. No way. So going back to the start of the question, yeah, it was a nice end of season. I mean, the press conference, I think there were no hard feelings from no party, I mean, I mean, not from us, from Honda, not from him. And from that point on, life is life and life is free and every man and every company must follow their own way or their own dream. That's all, finish. Yeah, that, absolutely. And obviously, then we'll go back to you. Um, you were at that point in your career as well and then you weren't going to ride anymore. You decided to retire from competition. What was the next stage in your career? How did you get into talent promotion and talent spotting? Well, the story is, I always think about this because it's the truth. When I decided to stop, uh, frankly speaking, I, I was, I, I don't know the word in English, but I was, Incomplete. I was not completed. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, completely. Absolutely. I, I was not, I was still, there was something inside of me, racer, that could not be uh, shown out, getting out of my, 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 my personality. So I was at that point quite anxious, you know, because I was a racer every morning, even though I was not going to race. I didn't, I never reached my peak performance and before I reach it I had to stop and this is something that is very bad for a rider but anyway when I decide to to stop out of the situation I explained before I was I think a very lucky guy because I had the phone call well he came to visit me in the hospital when I was suffering all the problems with my leg but after all that stopped I had a phone call from Carmelo Peleta the CEO of Dorna and he said to me, okay, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, Carmelo, but I, this is my world. And I think I, something I understand. And there's something inside that must go out. So he said, yeah, okay, let's go. Let's move on. Let's start to, you will take care of this story. We, we started doing the CEV, now it's called the SEP. We created that championship. 
and we started to promote riders, to help riders. I started to coach. And at the same time, we created the Movistar Activa Cup together with Dorna. And yeah, since that time, that was in 98, I think, till today I'm, I am doing this job, which is in a way very, for me, it's still the origin of everything, but I'm always very happy to be part of the talent and promotion activities of Dorna because it's the, it's the to say the starting point, the key, the, the root of, of everything, no? And I was very lucky because that job at that time gave me a lot of motivation. And I was thinking to train the riders like if it was me. And I remember when I met Danny Pedrosa and I saw the guy, I said, fuck, this guy has a chance, real chance. I really, really tried all my best. I tried 24 hours out of 24 to make him go. Until the point that one day I told him, guys, please follow my advice. If we, if we do this, you will be a champion for sure. And I remember Danny was 13 or 14 and he looked to me like, fuck, this guy is crazy. And some years after, he, came, he became champion. So it was very important for me at that time, which I, personally I was a little bit, I will never say depressed because I'm never depressed, but I was, let's say, low, that some organization like Dorna gave me this important task to develop riders and to see if we could do something real good for the championship. And finally we did it. This, this sounds like it really filled the void that was left by lack of racing. This never will fill the point by the lack of racing, but it softened it a lot. Yeah. Do you understand me? Yeah, I understand. Can, uh, so for, for everybody listening, it, it, it gets talked a lot about talent spotting. Could you give us a bit of an insight of to what exactly you look for? Because me and Fran obviously working very closely with the talent promotion on the on the press side. Uh, I've done some commentary on the Asia Talent Cup. We talk about what uh, that it's not just the results that a talent spotter or someone in your position looks for. It's the attitude and everything else. But can you give us some details for what you actually look for in a rider? I don't know. I tell you, this this is some question that many times they have been asking me because. Yeah, uh, we 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 had very good riders that were at one point were zero, and we we they came from scratch, and we said, okay, we support this, and the guy finally won the titles. But it's a question many times I have to answer. But I, I have to say, I mean, I think I I am lucky in a way to to say this one or that one. But the truth is that when I see a guy. I tell you, this is very strange, but only when, the way he goes onto the bike, only that precise moment that the guy goes in the bike, the way he takes the clutch and the way he starts, I immediately know if the guy has a possibility or not. I, without even, and this is something that keeps coming to my head many times, in fact, it's true, again, this guy, the way he goes on the bike, you look to him a little bit, you look him, you look his face, the way he's with the helmet, the, the, the way that he's looking his eyes, the way he goes, the approach to the bike. And all the guys that are good, they, 
I, that's why I say I was lucky to say, okay, this or that, but that is a lot for me. Then obviously, then the guy goes out, then you see if he's fast or not. But always when I saw a guy that had a good approach to the bike, a good, finally they are always fast. <laughs> it's a strange answer, I know. <laughs> it, makes, it makes perfect it's sense. Cool answer. So for you then, it's a question of instinct. Do you think that comes from you also having been a rider or do you just think it's instinct and how you can just tell from watching the kids get on the bike? I really don't know. I tell you, I don't know. I tell you, I don't know, but I was, you know, I'm I, I really like, I, I like a lot uh, music. And music? I remember one time I was listening to an interview from Peter Gabriel when he left Genesis. And I was surprised what he said because they made the test an audition for three drummers. And there were two drummers, and the last drummer was Phil Collins. And Peter Gabriel said that when he saw Phil Collins, the way he sat on the on the drums, only the way he got the sticks and prepared, he knew he was going to be selected. And of course, Phil Collins, finally, he was selected for Genesis at that time. But this is something... <laughs> It's not the same, but it's something more or less that could be the same. And I don't know why, but this is how I feel. I love that we've talked about talent spotting and you managed <laughs> to compare it to Phil Collins and <laughs> Peter Gable. I think that's absolutely great. So, okay, so that's, yeah, that's great. So instinct, I guess so much in life you can tell from someone's attitude. We all communicate so much without words. So that, I think that makes good sense. And I guess that's also something that you use a lot now at Repsol Honda in your role as team manager. So how did that opportunity come about and how did you decide to take on that new challenge? How it came, you mean, no? How, how yes, I, yeah. How, how did you get that opportunity and okay. was it an easy decision? No, I will explain. I mean, uh, you know, since 1993... I have been, in a way, working for Honda. I raced in 93 with a 250 NSR, and then moved to the 500 NSR, 94, 95, 96. Then I stopped out of the accident, and then I started to do a lot of activity with Honda for the Movie Star Cup, the Asia Talent Cup, the Spanish Junior Talent Team in Spain, all, all, always um, with Honda. So, I mean, my relation with Honda is not like people think from two years ago. It's coming from a long, long, long history. This is something that is important to, to have in mind. <clears throat> we also created a team in 90, no, sorry, 2000, 2003, four and five for Nani, and he won three titles. So, I mean, I have a, let's say, a quite long relation with Honda. So the last part, I mean, the, before they asked me for the job, I was doing uh, Moto3 and Moto2 Honda HRC advisor to check, scout for riders and to, and to check, you know. I was going to the races and I was checking. I was doing, let's say, that type of job that people cannot see so much, but it's behind the, behind the scenes, you know. And I was, yeah, I was, I was doing this job. So, yeah, finally, by the end of 
when was this? Two years ago, they asked me if, if I would be interested in in doing this job, and I mean, from a job point of view, I had no question. Mark, I knew I could do well because I have done it before in the past. I mean, I've been I was team manager in many teams, in the movie star, uh, Moto three, in the two fifty. I mean, from a Let's say from a job point of view, I was zero scared and I was super confident. And yeah, the only thing was if I could try to combine my job and still not forget my roots of the um, scouting and all the program I was doing together with Dorna because Dorna helped me in the beginning. So due to the fact that all the scouting I do is with Honda, then Honda accepted, so I'm a happy man. I mean, I can <laughs> continue somehow doing um, things for Dorna with the, with the kids, and I can manage uh, the top riders in the world. So my my range of motion is from zero to ten. I mean, from the lowest <laughs> level of racing to the maximum. So it's quite interesting. Yeah, does that was that uh, transition to try and um, do that balance easier or harder than you expected? No, no, no. This I'm used to. Frankly speaking, I'm used to this. Yeah. I've been in racing since '85, and I've done I've done everything. You know, I've raced, I've coached, I've been a trainer. I, I mean, racing is my life, and 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 yeah, I, it, it's not a problem of if you are capable or not. This was not the story. The story is if you had the motivation to do it full power. This is the story of jobs. Many people can do a job. But how, with how much level of intensity do you, you do the job is what will define you. And I know when I accepted the job, I said, okay, I go full. I want this market to win and, 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 and let's go and see how we can do it. So there is no compromise. It's full gas. <laughs> As with everything. <laughs> so in that job then, obviously you're with Mark Marquez the most successful rider in this era by far. How is it working with Mark? What kind of rider is he? And does he make your job easier in how he is in the team and on the bike? Well, I have to say, I know this can sound like a, a prepared quote or a prepared message, but it's not. Market is a really, really simple guy. He's he's an anti-hero. I mean, he's he's not a superstar. He he's a real normal normal guy. Completely normal attitude to 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 to, to the people around him. And he's not like a diva. I mean, he's he's. But the only thing is that when it comes to race, he's an animal. <laughs> That's it. It's as simple as that. When when the visor so, goes yeah, down, makes, that's he's a different person. Makes 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 life easier for all of us that is around him. It's for his mechanics, for the team managers, for his manager, for his trainer, for 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 Honda. I mean, that's it. But on the other hand, we know that we are working with one of the best riders in the planet, so we have to perform to the maximum. There cannot be ifs. I mean, we have to be. Yes or yes. 
And can you, uh, and obviously the, the biggest change this year is you have not just Mark, but also his brother as well. How's, has that changed, how's the dynamic, or has the dynamic in the team changed, given that you have two people who know each other almost better than they know themselves? Well, I think this, this has been, uh, people have been talking a lot about this in the, in the winter, but I will make you a simple analyze and, and resume of the situation. I mean, Mark will continue with his project, with his mentality, which is win, win, win. And Alex has a chance and he will try to survive in a very complicated uh, scenario that he knew when he accepted the job. And he will try to progress how, the way he can, learning from his brother, learning on track from other riders, uh, trying to make the training. And that's it. I mean, life, we have a life and the life is from, it's, it's our own life. And even though they are brothers, at the end of the day, you have to fight for you. And I'm not saying that in case Mark could help Alex, that would not happen. Probably, yes. But Mark knows his job. And his job is to fight with the top riders that they have a very good level. And at that time, at this time, his brother is not in this group. So he cannot get very focused in other things. He must focus on what he has to do, which is try to beat the other top guys, no? which is not easy. Because sometimes people believe that it's easy, but the other guys are also very, very strong and they're very prepared. Of course, yeah. They're the best riders in the world all up and down pit lane in MotoGP. I feel that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people coming into the season were asking about how much can Mark help Alex. But Alberta, how how much do you think there's only a certain amount that someone like Mark, who is, as you say, a complete animal on the bike, there's a limit to how much he can actually teach his brother before then it's just down to instinct and you you could argue just what you're capable of. Yeah, it's, I mean, he can always. They can talk, he can explain, you know, you this corner, you have to go in like this, then try to break, but finally you have to do it. And for this, nobody can help you, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, he will see all the graphics of his brother, but this is something that always in, in the Honda team, I mean, riders can check the other riders' data. And he will see, Alex will see things that he will not understand how the other guy can do it. But at least he will have the chance to see how an animal is doing that corner. Then it will be his, 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 uh, uh, I mean, it will be up to him if he can do it or not. But I mean, m apart from this, there's not so much that you can help another guy, you know, on, on a motorbike. This is not, motorbike racing is, it's a very individual sport. And it's very unique, very, very personal. And uh, Sunday at two o'clock, it's you and your bike finish. Yeah, definitely. Okay, I think that's covered everything we wanted to cover. Thank you so much for talking to us. Yes, thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. your, your, your insight. It's been, it's been very eye-opening. Definitely, okay. and especially love the Phil Collins uh, reference as well. And Genesis. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a joke. Please check it. You'll no, no, for sure. No, I will. We, we, I'm going to go on YouTube and check it out. <laughs> okay. Well, so, uh, yeah, I hope we all, we all stay safe and we can see you soon, okay? Yes, hopefully the Absolutely. next time we see you is uh, on track. 
We'll lap the circuit. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Thank well, you so much, care. Alberto. You no too. Worries. Take care. Take Bye care. Now. Stay safe. Bye bye. Well, that was that was a fascinating interview. Not going to lie, you, you never really know what you're going to get with Alberto Pooch. But did we get some absolute corkers in that? We did. I particularly, as you can probably tell, really enjoyed the Phil Collins reference. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, th- I think that's going to have to be like the headline, won't it? Like how <laughs> how Phil Collins uh, helps talent spotting in Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that no, that was that was awesome. And uh, I'm not sure if you viewers at home could probably tell, but myself and Fran were a, a tad nervous maybe beforehand. I'll, I'll hold my hand up and say I was nervous about speaking to Alberto Pooch. Definitely, but I think also with the technology. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of glitches in there, but we hope everything came across okay. We've got two Skypes and then one phone in two different countries, three different locations. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I, th- I think we did all right. But the next uh, next two episodes, as we mentioned previously, they were recorded on site and in person. Uh, Randy Mabler recorded at the Barcelona Dorna Sports HQ uh, in a very fancy room there. You'll see that if you're going to watch the video version. And then Tom Luti above the Media Centre in Qatar. So it shouldn't be any audio. Uh, well, the audio quality and all round general quality of the production should be a little bit better than my measly laptop yeah absolutely (laughs) okay well uh of course the next time as well we'll have the uh, kenwood quickfire segment as well which hopefully you'll enjoy and we'll be whilst you're listening to the two pre-recorded podcasts over the next two weeks myself and fran will be busy behind the scenes getting some more podcast interviews to roll out the weeks after that to hopefully whet your appetite for a murder gp season coming to you soon we hope we do indeed so yeah everybody stay safe thanks so much for listening as always uh, and we hope you enjoy the content that we've got for you goodbye